in today's show, I'm going to give out my fake NBA awards. They're not fake awards, they're the real awards, but it's my fake ballot, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. We are smack bang here in the middle of the the wait between the regular season and the NBA play-in games, which begin tomorrow. Very excited to, uh, to see how that all goes. So what I thought I'd do now is get in my NBA awards ballots. I don't have a real NBA vote for the awards. I wish I did. NBA, if you are watching, give me a vote. I will obviously take it seriously. Um, before I do that, though, just a quick note on the playing games tomorrow and what I think is going to happen. We've got the 7-8 matchup between Washington and Boston. With the injuries to Jalen Brown, um, yeah, Kemba and, and uh, Marcus Smart, those guys will return for Boston. I don't have too much worry there. It is in Boston. Um, I, I do think that Boston will have too much for Washington. They're favored by two in that game. Um, uh, yeah, I think Boston will be able to win that one, just. And then Charlotte, Indiana. Well, both teams absolutely banged up, but um, we don't know the status of Malcolm Brogdon yet. He's questionable. Aaron Holiday is questionable. Sabonis is questionable. I'm gonna, I know it's on the road, but I'm going to give that to Charlotte. The return of Miles Bridges, LaMelo Ball. I know there's still no Gordon Haywood. I, I think Charlotte might get that one over Indiana who have been really up and down, the Pacers, but that could go either way. The Pacers are favored by three there. I reckon the Hornets might be able to pull an upset as the 10th seed, but uh, we will see. That's uh, that's how I'm looking at those ones. But yeah, the main, the main reason for this show is to do NBA awards. MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Most Improved, Coach of the Year, Executive of the Year, all NBA teams, all defensive teams, all rookie teams. And you are definitely going to have disagreements with me. And whatever those disagreements are, I want to hear about them. You can tweet them at me. You can drop them if you are watching on YouTube. Drop them in the comments below. Tell me what you would have done differently. Very, very open to hear uh, what your thoughts are. Of course, you, know, you don't have to abuse me about being dumb or anything like that. Hey, but maybe I am dumb. But we can, uh, we can look at those awards and talk about those. Hey, let's do it right now. First award that I want to look at, let's start with the big boy. The NBA MVP at number one. Honestly, don't know how we could have anyone else in this position, to be honest. Um, I think it has to be Jokic as the MV- NBA MVP. His numbers this season have been yeah, obviously ridiculously good. He's played all 32 games, 35 minutes a game, 26, 11, and 8. 57 and 87 is his percentages, 39% shooting from three. His impact stats lead the NBA as well. The best LeBron in the league, the best wins added in the league. Um, yeah, really good. Your PR of 31. Uh, there is He's played, I think, almost the most minutes in the NBA. That would be probably behind Julius Randle would be my guess. Um, yeah, um, yeah. look, really hard to have anyone else in this position. It's probably the least controversial. Well, maybe it's not. There's going to be one later on. I think it's going to be the least controversial pick that I have in this uh, in this show, but let's uh, let's go with Big Chungus there at number one for our NBA MVP. Number two, this one was a little bit harder, but I think I'm going to put Steph Curry in this position now. 
He averaged 32 points per game. He hit over five threes per game. Another 42% shooting from three. Hit his free throws at an incredibly high rate. His impact stats, again, were was super high. This team was absolutely nothing without him. Um, yeah, defensively, he's not as good as some of the other guys on this list, but he's not a horrendous defensive player. Thought what he was able to do this year was fantastic. He was third in the NBA in box plus minus as well, um, behind Jokic and Yanni Antetokounmpo. The LeBron metric, uh, according to uh, Basketball Index, which is a metric, I think, you know, with PIPM disappearing because Jacob got hired by the Washington Wizards. Now, LeBron's probably one of the best um, all-in-one numbers out there. Steph wasn't quite as high in that one, but his offensive impact was second in the NBA behind uh, Jokic. And I think MVP is is an award that skews more offensive than defensive as well, because being that excellent offensive player, the differentiation between being that guy um, and being excellent offensively is a larger gap versus being excellent defensively. You're able to swing games more, and that's why I'm going to put Steph up there at number two. At number three, yeah, look, probably when he got hurt, I thought Embiid was leading the MVP race. Him and Jokic were definitely 1-2 there. He was he was leading it. He has played you know, significantly fewer minutes, 500-plus fewer minutes than, uh, than Curry and even more than Jokic. His permanent numbers are obviously really good, but I did think that when he came back from his injury, he wasn't quite as impactful, and some of that was the position the Sixers were in. They were able to go easy with Embiid and limit his playing time. And yeah, he wasn't able to have as large of an impact as he was having beforehand. But averaging 29 and 11, he shot 51%. He shot 38% from three. His mid-range shooting was great. He was able to get that efficiency way up. Um, He still played defense at a really high level. So I've got Embiid there at number three. I've got Yanni Antetokounmpo coming in at number number four. I thought Yanni's season was really good. 28, 11, and six. 1.2 steals and 1.2 blocks. 57% 57% shooting is excellent. He only hit 30% of his threes, and his free throws were a problem. We know that, and that's why for fantasy, he was way down um, outside the top 10. But box box plus minus, he was second in the entire NBA in that metric. Um, his LeBron was fourth in the NBA. His wins added, I believe, was uh, third, or sorry, fourth in the NBA. So you know, I think this is a fair spot to have him. Now, the last one, I, I'm sure, is going to attract some controversy. Rudy Govet. Rudy Gobert. And yeah, I don't like to base awards on this usually. And I, d- I didn't base it entirely on that here. He's you know, our best player on the best team. But that's exactly what Gobert is. His impact is huge. And I just talked about how much more important it is to be excellent offensively than defensively. And that's true. That's why Gobert is the best player in the best team. He's not winning the MVP or coming second or coming third. Because even though he's got this significant gap on the, on the next guys, it's not as important as having that significant gap offensively. But he is just so good defensively that he makes that entire team run. And he is not a bad offensive player. He's not a great offensive player. But in that scheme, he makes their offense run as well. Yeah, there are other names we could have had in that mix there for sure. Yeah, if LeBron uh, was in the mix, but I just thought, yeah, the, the game's played difference. And, and the minutes play difference probably just pushed... He, he would have been my sixth guy there, LeBron. Yeah, Kawhi was another one that's in that mix with uh, with Gobert. They're probably the three that I had mixing it up for number five. And maybe I am being a little bit harsh on LeBron, who who only played, you know, not that many fewer minutes compared to... Um, Compared to someone like Joel Embiid, he was behind Embiid, but it wasn't um, it wasn't a crazy difference between those two. But I, I still do think of actually. Let's bring those numbers up. Embiid played fifteen eighty five minutes, and LeBron played uh, fifteen 
1503. So it's not that big a difference, but in terms of permanent production, I did have Embiid ahead of LeBron anyway, so that's why yeah, that difference is there. I just think that what Gobert was able to do this season was was really impressive defensively, and his offensive play was fine, but I, I could easily have that as a 5A and LeBron as a 5B, no problem whatsoever. But you're probably going to hate the fact that I had Gobert in over LeBron, and I totally understand that. LeBron's unbelievable. He's excellent, and yeah, the... the if LeBron plays five more games, then he's he's in there. There's, there's there's no concern about that. But I just think Gobert needed to be acknowledged for his uh, level of play this season, and that's where he is. Let's look at the Rookie of the Year. Three votes there, and oh my god, I misspelt it. All right, so let's correct that misspelling on the graphic. The Rookie of the Year, I am giving it to Lamelo Ball of the Charlotte Hornets. Obviously, um, yeah, other players in the mix here for sure. There's no doubt about that. But I just think that what LaMelo was able to, again, it's not rookie of the last three months because that player is obviously in that scenario. It's Anthony Edwards. There's no uh, no denying that. But if I'm going to look at, and look, the minutes played difference there is pretty significant. It's like 800 minutes difference between the two. Yeah, Anthony Edwards, clearly the leading scorer of rookies. The volume was absolutely through the roof. But I don't think that when we're looking at Rookies of the Year, we, we need to go through and go, well, who scored the most points to be the best rookie? And he, he played a lot, all 72 games, 32 minutes a night. His first three months of the season were pretty poor, Edwards. I thought, I didn't think he was particularly um, impressive in those. His shot selection was horrendous. His impact stats aren't particularly great either. A negative 1.38 LeBron, that's one of the worst out of the entire rookie class, especially defensively. But you can't deny that his last three months as he played through the fake rookie wall, were excellent. Like, he really took it up. Now, I still have some doubts about how that, you know, all works as we move long-term, but he's eliminated a lot of the doubts that I have. But let's talk about the guy that I do have as the rookie of the year, LaMelo Ball. Played 51 games, only 29 minutes a game. It's a team that was playing at a higher level than the Wolves all season, and LaMelo was a big part of that. He averaged 16-6-6, and 1.6 steals. We can talk about his shooting. He hit 36% of his threes, which I think is pretty good. 76 from the line. Again, not bad. You could get hope for a little bit better than that. 49% on twos is not great, but it is also better than Anthony Edwards' number there. Um, and I just think that LaMelo was impressive when he was out there, basically from you know, about game three onwards. And the coach you know, held him back somewhat, and I was pretty critical of that at times. But he held him back. He played a sixth-man, 24-minute-a-night role for all, as did Anthony Edwards. But Anthony Edwards was doing it because he wasn't playing well. Ball was doing it because the team was rolling in their current configuration. Um, and that was, um, you know, I think, hampering what Ball was able to do. But you know, the, the injury there is, is obviously somewhat of a, of, a, uh, of a drawback, but it's not something he could control. I just think, overall, he's the best rookie in this class. He had the best overall rookie season. His ability to you know, run an NBA offense was there straight away. Passing, defensively, I thought he played pretty well. Shooting came and went, but it was much better than we could have anticipated coming into the season, I thought. And to me, he just was the, the clear standout um, rookie. Now, I went back and forth on who was the number two guy between Edwards and Halliburton. And Halliburton's the, the classic case of someone who started out and surprised people early on. And then did fall off a little bit as the season went on. Some of that was due to him. Some of that was due to coaching and rotation decisions from Luke Walton. But some of that was also just yeah, him and that, which I think he, he does have a limited ceiling. Um, yeah, reducing, yeah, he just sort of did what he continued to do, averaging 13, 3, and 5. Now, he played only 30 minutes a night, which is not a huge amount. But I thought he was really impactful. 
during that time. Tyrese Halliburton, he still was a negative in his LeBron, and defensively, he was almost as bad as Anthony Edwards in that metric. But you know, I, I just think it's, it's undeniable how well that he shot. We know that. If I bring up his uh, shooting numbers, what he was at 41% from three. Volume was the same as LaMelo, five threes per game. Does not get to the free throw line at all, and that's, that's part of one of the, the issues that I had with him as to why I was skeptical about him ever being a lead point guard. It's just an inability to drive, finishing numbers, and not being able to you know, be that guy who just generates offense by putting pressure on the rim. And he didn't dissuade me from that at all during his rookie season. Yeah, yeah so Hall- Halliburton was was good, obviously, but Edwards is the guy that I, that I went with. He averaged 19 points, two and a half threes, 1.1 steals, 2.9 assists, and 4.7 uh, rebounds. The true shooting of 52% is, is relatively poor, but it did improve for Edwards over the, the course of the season, and his volume was amazing. He averaged 20 points per game over the final three months of the year. The impact stats still don't love him. A lot of that is because he was almost one of the worst rotation players in the NBA to begin the season, and that's not the way that things ended. I still have some concerns with him regarding shot selection, but his last two months, he averaged 23, 5, and 3.5. His true shooting was up at 57%. And again, if it was rookie of the last three months, I think he has it you know, covered easily. Like his numbers were great. He was able to maintain a really high usage and improve his efficiency, played some decent defense at times, which was completely absent but for the first three months. But that is the key, is the first three months he was lost. Offensively, he was lost. Defensively, he was lost. He was really, really bad. And the last three months were great. And if he played like the last three months all season, I think he would have been the rookie of the year. But he didn't. So that's why he has to fall into number two. And then Tyrese Halliburton comes in number three. I think that's a pretty clear top three to me. I don't think you could argue with that too much. You might have arguments of Tyrese over Edwards. You might have arguments of Edwards over Ball. If you have arguments of Halliburton over either of them, I think you might need to reassess what you're doing. But that's fine. You can have that discussion as well. I thought Tyrese, again, was really, really solid this year. But that is my rookie of the year. Guys, rockauto.com. If you are looking for parts for your car and you're just a rookie, at fixing stuff, like your automobile, why would you go to a local chain store so they can rip you off? The parts, they might not even have them in stock. They have to order them in because there's just so many parts and makes and models of cars these days. And rockauto.com, they're the guys that you need to go to because you don't want to go into that chain store, talk to the bloke behind the counter and have him dick you around with prices and runarounds and say, man, yeah, I don't know, man, it's probably going to be 350 bucks. And you're going to go, $350? rockauto.com's got it for 170 mate. You are dreaming. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. And best of all, those prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and they are the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in there, how did you hear about us box, so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Let's go to the next one. We've talked a lot about those first two awards. I didn't expect this show to go as long as it did, but hey, here we are. All right, the defensive player of the year, absolutely no argument. Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. If you're arguing this one, then I'm I'm not really sure what we're watching. He is far and away the best defensive player in the NBA this season to me. In any whatever metric you can find, there is there is zero argument that Gobert should be number one. So I'm not going to spend any time on it. He wins it hands down. It should be unanimous. The next positions are tough. I went with Clint Capella. He's a plus ten on off. His um, LeBron defensive LeBron was second highest in the entire NBA. 
His defensive box score plus minus wasn't quite as good, but defensive box score plus minus is a little bit of an iffy number. I just thought that when Capella was out there, he made this team, who had so many defensive concerns last year, he made them a solid defensive team. And I don't really know what more um, he could be asked to do. Protect the rim, rebound well, provide really strong deep. I'd say it's his best defensive season ever. The Pacers, uh, the Pacers, the, the Hawks, you know, weren't, they weren't a great defense. They were 21st, but they would have been the worst defense in the NBA without him. And having to cat, you know, make up for the mistakes of guys like Trey Young, uh, even John Collins, guys like Kevin Herter on the perimeter, it's a huge job. Block shots, grab rebounds, impact stats through the roof. I'm giving number two to Clint Capella. And then number three, I could have gone with a Miles Turner. I could have probably had a Draymond Green in there as well, but I don't. I'm going to go with Jakob Pertl. I think his season deserves recognition. Fourth highest defensive LeBron for the year. Another plus 10 on off. And part of the reason I gave him that over Turner. Now, Turner's block shots were great, and he was really, really good defensive, and the paces fell off when he was out. And Turner was really close. He was my 3B. Is that Turner's on off is like a plus point, point 0.6 or something. And Pertles is a plus 10. Now, something that's to do with the backups for sure. But I still think that... Pirtle's impact on that Spurs team, again, when you've got to try and defend alongside um, uh, DeMar DeRozan, which is not an easy task, and at times with LaMarcus Aldridge on that team, I thought Pirtle's, this is what he is an elite defender, and he doesn't get the recognition that he deserves, in my opinion, so I'm going to give him the recognition that he deserves, and that's where he is, at number three in Defensive Player of the Year. Let's go on to Most Improved Player. I think it has to be the Double Royal Julius Randle. Now, he had some issues this season. There's, there's no doubt about that. But he was a player that Knicks fans were like, get this asshole out of here. Like, can we trade this guy? He is horrendous. He spin move every time. Um, turnovers all the time. What are we doing? Get him out of here. Just start Obi Toppin. That was people's thoughts at the start of the season. He uh, unbelievably transformed his, his game. He averaged almost five extra points per game. Again, the, the part of the issue that I have with him is, is some of the shooting stuff and the efficiency overall dropped significantly. Just 47% on twos is not good. But he went from a 28% three-point shooter to shooting 41% from three and had an increase in attempts of over 50%, up to five and a half per game. That is not nothing. So despite his overall field goal percentage dropping, his true shooting went up from 54 to 50, 57. So while field goal percentage has an impact on us in fantasy leagues, his true shooting and overall impact went up. 24, 10, and 6, they put the ball in his hands as a de facto point guard type point forward player. Defensively, yeah, sure, there's still plenty of worries with him as a defensive player. He doesn't get defensive stats. He's not a good defender. That's all well and good. But he was able to take steps forward to become an actual guy that you can say, run our offense, Julius, be our number one guy. He played through an absolute shit ton of minutes, which is going to cause him to break down at some point. But 38 minutes a night led the NBA in minutes. He has to be uh, number one to me. Number two. I'm going to take Zach Levine. Now, I think the skater boy was you know, super impressive. We, we slash me, have had issues with Levine in the past about is he a guy that can maybe be just empty stats and not lead to wins. Um, and still at this point, the Bulls haven't made the playoffs or even the play-in tournament. So I guess some of those concerns arise. But I think... I don't think that's Levine's fault, really, at this point. He averaged 27 points per game, but impressively, he took his true shooting from 57 to 63% while maintaining a 30-plus usage. I thought his passing improved. He was able to run things through pick and roll, especially once Nikola Vucevic arrived. That was good. Now, his defense wasn't great, 
but I thought he improved in that area as well. I was super impressed with Levine this season. I thought that he was able to take that, you know, take that step from being you know, very good to being an all-star level player and a deserved all-star level player is a hard thing to do. So I'm going to put Zach Levine at number two, and then I'm going to put Shea Gildas-Alexander at number three. He only played 35 games. That, that's half of what he did last year. The minutes were about the same, but he was able to, on a team that lost Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder, you know, the two guards who were really handling everything last season, they took him from an off-ball player and said, you are running the ship. You're running things on this team. He took his usage from 23 to 28. His assists went from 3.3 to almost 6. And somehow his true shooting went from 57 to 62 in his third year. I could have easily had someone like Zion on this list. I don't do second-year players. Michael Porter Jr., I don't do second-year players on our most improved. But I thought Shea running with a significantly worse team, upping his usage, upping his assist rating, creating for others and upping his efficiency and shooting 42% on threes on five attempts per game. It deserves recognition. I thought he was really, really impressive this season. Um, yeah, I would love to have seen it for a little bit longer, but that plantar fascia, plantar fascia tear impacted him, and his defensive stuff wasn't quite as good as it's been in the past, but he is my number three player on my most improved ballot. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, like the MVP or Defensive Player of the Year. Baseball season's also in full swing, and you can track all of the action at Bet Online. You can get all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, and all of your UFC action. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams get ready to fire up for the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using our promo code locked on. Bet online are your online sportsbook experts. Okay. Next award is the sixth man of the year. Waiting for some controversy on this one as well. I think it's Joe Ingles. Um, I know that the person who's going to win it is almost definitely going to be Jordan Clarkson because for some reason there's an unwritten rule with this award is who is the highest scorer off the bench? And that would be Jordan Clarkson. But that is not what this award should be. It should be the best player who comes off the bench for their team. And that is Joe Ingles. His true shooting of 67% is amazing. It did drop when he moved into the starting lineup. There's no doubt about that. 45% on his threes, attempting over six per game. Almost five assists per game in under 28 minutes, 12 points. Defensively, he's really good. Again, he's the best, best bench player on the best team in the NBA. And I think that should count for more than who's the highest scorer coming off the bench. Clarkson started out this season really well. Like, shot the ball well for about two months, and then shot horribly for four months. Like, horribly. Volume is important. Getting those shots up is important, and he needs to be that guy off the bench, but I just didn't think he was anywhere near as impactful as what Joe Ingles was. I'm going to go with second place to Thad Young of the Chicago Bulls. thought it was one of Young's best seasons ever, amazingly, um, at, this age, at this time in his career. Defensively, he was just as good as ever. He did start 23 games, played 24 minutes a night, had 12 points, six boards. But what he was able to do, and they turned him into a point center at times, 4.3 assists, steals and blocks were pretty good. Defensively, he was good. Offensively, he was good. He didn't shoot threes particularly well, 27%, but it was a significant improvement from where he was last year. And then lastly, I'm going to go with Derek Rose, who was unbelievably good in New York. Now, he wasn't quite as good in Detroit, but he had a plus 11 net rating, um, or on-off, sorry, uh, in, in New York off the bench. It helps when the guy in front of you is Alfred Payton, who's one of the worst point guards in the NBA. But Rose's performances in New York were fantastic. He helped push this team to a four seed. 
And yeah, I, I, I was worried about where his health would be with the ankles, but he was able to play well defensively. Not, not even passable. Like, I thought he played well defensively this season. And that's why he gets my nod as third place in sixth man of the year. Let's go to coach of the year. I'm going to go to Quinn Snyder. Um, look, you're the, you're the coach of the best team. You barely... Uh, how many times did I criticize Quinn Snyder's coaching this year? Zero, I would say. I'm not the arbiter of good or bad coaching, but I don't think he made any poor decisions at all. He managed that team exceedingly well. Play, have them playing a style that was just blowing teams out almost every night. And they go into the playoffs. Now, of course, we don't know how things are going to play out in the playoffs, whether they make the NBA finals or the conference finals. We don't know. But in the regular season, I think he was the best coach in the league. I want to go with Steve Nash at number two. Now, Nash's rotations were frustrating from a fantasy point of view because we never knew if Brown or Shamit or Green or even Harris or Jordan or Griffin or Claxton or Aldridge. We didn't know who was starting or who was coming off the bench at any point. But managing this team, trying to mesh Harden, KD, and Kyrie together. Remember, Kyrie and KD hadn't played together at all before this season. And then Harden came in mid-season. You lose a bunch of guys like your Karis Leverts. Then you lose Spencer Dinwiddie to a torn ACL. You deal with your buyout guys coming in who have got name recognition. You've got the problem with DeAndre Jordan and his mates, whether you play him or not. You have the abrupt retirement of LaMarcus Aldridge. And despite all that, you still finish in the two seed with one of the best offenses of all time as a first-time coach who really looked at things and went, every matchup, I'm just going to make moves to the rotation. I'm not going to be stubborn in what I do. I'm just going to change things around and give my team the best chance of winning in every game. And I thought it worked really well. Of course, he's untested in the playoffs. We'll see how that all works out. But given the circumstances around the Nets season with the injuries, the integration of those players as a first-time head coach as well, I thought he was fantastic. And third, I'm going to go with Monty Williams. Williams, again, trying to just change the team around. Now, some of this is just Chris Paul comes in and the team becomes Chris Paul because they went from one of the fastest teams in the NBA to one of the slowest teams in the NBA, and that's Chris Paul. But getting Chris Paul to play at the level that he did getting the play of Devin Booker to merge in with Chris, Chris Paul, get those two to work together. Yeah, deploying guys like um, McCall Bridges. Now, we can criticize, and I do, DeAndre Ayton all the time. For you know, Be more aggressive. Be less passive. Where's your usage? What's all that doing? But the way that he was used, it's frustrating from us as an early fantasy draft pick, as a number one overall draft pick. I'm sure it's frustrating for the Suns. But Williams has said, well, mate, we're here to win now. Uh, I don't need you taking 15, 16 shots a game if you're not good at it. And he got him to buy in, saying, your role is just to be a rebounder space clogger. And it, it's frustrating because we know he can do more, but for the for the good of the team, it was probably the right call from Monty. And I think that's that's impressive stuff from him. Being able to work in lineups with Dario Saric at center, who went from his starting power forward last year to his backup center this year. That's impressive. The Cameron Payne renaissance is awesome. And in large part, that should do with Monty. I uh, thought he was really, really good. Now, I, I could have had really close there um, Tom Thibodeau. As much as I don't think Tom Thibodeau is a great long-term coach, what he was able to do this year was super impressive. I just find it hard to put him ahead of any of these three guys, but he's very, very much right in there at number four behind them. The executive of the year, I'm just I'm going to take Sean Marks. Again, you are bringing in James Harden. So that, that's almost your number one. You hide Steve Nash. Right, that's another positive move. You were able to convince players like LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, even though the Aldridge one didn't necessarily pan out because of retirement. You were able to convince those guys to come in and play much smaller roles as big-name all-star type guys or former all-star type guys. You were able to build a team that was cohesive around those um, around those star guys. I just think it was a really strong job. Uh, Daryl Morey at number two. 
Not that he didn't you know, bring Embiid in or Simmons in or even Tobias Harris, but he made the move to bring in Doc Rivers. Great move. And what he did is he made the roster make sense. Danny Green, Seth Curry, getting out Josh Richardson and Al Horford. Guys that just didn't fit with their stars. They just built everything around Embiid and Simmons. The pick of Tyrese Maxey was a really good one. I just think what he did is, so this is what we, our team is. This is how we need to build around them. Let's move these other pieces around and figure out how to get it to work. And I thought that was impressive. And then Sam Presti. Now, if we look back at this in hindsight, Presti could be number one on this list because of all the moves they made might just net the Thunder a ton of unbelievable players. Remember, the Paul George trade and Russell Westbrook trades, do not they're not included in this year in terms of looking at executive of the year, but it's more the other moves. You know, the, the Chris Paul move, the Dennis Schroeder move, the Al Horford um, you know, trade, acquiring assets left, right, and center, just amassing all these draft picks, trading up to get Pokashevsky. I thought, who was a top 10 player to me? It was a pretty shrewd, shrewd move as well. So this, again, he could easily be the best executive of 2020, 2021 when we look back on it, depending on what happens with all these draft picks. And if the Thunder win a title in five years, then he will be. But at this point, I'm going to have him at number three. Because again, he made moves to lose this year, but to be better in four or five years. But we just don't know whether that's actually going to pan out. Let's look at the all-rookie first team now. First three guys in my rookie of the year there, Lamella Ball, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton. I think uh, a unanimous pick should be the wild thing, Jay Sean Tate. Yes, he is older, but no, I don't give a shit about that. So Tate is in that list. I mean, uh, all-rookie teams aren't position-specific. So yeah, I think Tate has to be on that list for the Rockets. Started a ton of games. He played... As a center, played as a point guard. Defensively was good. Shooting was you know, a problem at times, but I thought impressive still nonetheless. And the last spot I'm going to give to Emmanuel quickly. He had some absolutely huge issues offensively in terms of shooting percentages. But as a rookie who was a late pick, which doesn't really factor much into this, he was able to have a huge impact on his team. I believe he led all rookies in LeBron. So uh, impact and, and by not, not a small margin. Um, in terms of wins added, he was second behind the wild thing, Jay Sean Tate. And I think that that needs to be rewarded. The shooting numbers are not good. Like, we're well aware of that. And if I have a look, Emmy's fantasy ranking is horrible. You know, 260th, he shot 39.5% from the field. He averaged two assists as a point guard. 40% on twos. Like, it's really bad. But he got to the line a lot and shot them amazingly. His floater game was really good. And I thought the, you know, what he did impactfully on a good team was uh, deserving of recognition. All-rookie second team. We're going to go with Alf Stewart. Is that you, Mr. Stewart? Well, who the hell else do you think it'd be? Get in here, you pair of flaming galahs. I think the flaming galah was, yeah, obviously, if he had have played the same role he did for the last two months, he might have pushed into that first team. And I really did debate between him and quickly for that last position. Stewart is a guy that I'm a little worried about fantasy-wise long-term. I'm not sure he can ever transition into being a top 10 actual NBA center. I think a lot of the situation really helped him this year on this Pistons team. And the same goes for the depressed penis, Sadiq Bey. They were in a really good spot, spot to show what they did, and they did it well. I'm not sure what the next step is for these guys, but they deserve their spot on the all-rookie second team. I'm going to put Faku Kompatsu there. Again, you're on the third seed. You're contributing as a rotation player, and when shit hits the fan, you take over as a starter, and they don't miss a beat. That, to me, deserves recognition. And then I'm going to go with two Grizzlies, Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman. Two players, again, they're in the play-in game. These guys played rotation roles as the 30th pick in the draft and a second-round pick, coming in and being actually positive uh, impact metric players as well, which there's not many of those who are rookies. In fact, in using the LeBron metric, there's only uh, four players who are positive impact LeBron guys. Two of them are Paul Reed and Devon Dotson, who barely played. And then it's quickly Tillman and Najee Marshall. 
So that's why Tillman's in there. And I just thought Bain's ability to shoot the ball and be a legit spacer and starter on a Grizzlies team, I think they deserve recognition. But yeah, those two are a little, not iffy, but they're sort of on that border of whether they should be there or not. But I do believe that they deserve their spots on that all-rookie second team. All-defense first team. I want to go with two sixes in the uh, in the first team. Ben Simmons and the painter Matisse Thibel. Uh, I just think that what, you know, Thibel, actually one of the best defenders in the entire NBA. I think he deserves that spot. And Ben Simmons, yeah, can switch onto anybody. He's not as good a defender as the Sixers claim. He's not in the mix for def- uh, defensive player of the year, but I think he absolutely deserves this spot here. At forward, I think it is the Jedi, OG Nanobi. But what about Scarf? OG. Stop, OG. Uh, you better stop, OG. And Draymond, hard to argue with that. I, I think um, picking all defensive teams is one of the hardest things to do. Yeah, should I? There are plenty of guys that I could have had in there and made arguments for, but I'm going to go with Ananobi and Green, and then at center, it's Gobert. There's a no-brainer there. Um, all defense second team, DeJounte Murray and Chris Paul. Uh, Marcus Smart, really unlucky to not get in there. Could have really had him over DeJounte. It's a bit DeJounte Murray and Chris Paul. At forward, Yanni Antetokounmpo and McCall Bridges. Again, I think Bridges is one of the best defensive players in the NBA. It's just that Draymond and OG Ananobi are better than him at forward. And then at center, my second defensive player of the year is Clint Capella. So he's in there. Again, these are... I could be the easily swayed out of my all defensive teams out of all of my other decisions. But let me know what you think. And let's go to all NBA now. First team, Steph Curry and Luka Doncic. Yes, Curry, no argument. Yanni, no argument as a forward. And Nikola Jokic, no argument. I don't think you can argue those. I think people will have take issue with Luka Doncic there. I still think what Doncic did on this Mavericks team, when we look at it with a Porzingis that's playing half the games and not as impactful, this team's not that good. They pushed into the five seed. The Mavericks, um, he wasn't at his best all season, Luca. He was still really, really good. Um, and then I've got LeBron on the All-NBA first team. Um, again, I just think what he did defensively and offensively was impressive. Yes, he did miss time. Oops, didn't mean to move that across. He did miss time, but he was, um, again, he was he was excellent this season. That spot there is probably the one I'm debated the most, whether to have LeBron on the first team, but there he is. Second team, Damian Lillard and James Harden. I know Harden missed games, but he was unbelievably good. He was so, so good in the games that he played. Harden averaged 25, 8, and 11. He just moved into being a full-time point guard. And Lillard had a a drop in the middle of the season for sure. Or maybe not middle, maybe March, April. But the rest of his season was really strong. And he fired up at the end of the year to take Portland into um, the the playoffs and get out of that playing game. At forward, Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard. Jimmy struggled early on with the ankle and COVID. But after that, he was unbelievably good. He could have been in that discussion, as with Kawhi, for first team on the forward line. And then at center, I'm going to take Joel Embiid there. My uh, you know, third place in MVP, my sex, so second best center, he gets that position. Now, I could have you know, fudged it and put Embiid at center and Jokic at forward because that's how the NBA had those position designations. That's bullshit to me. Yeah, what did Jokic play at forward 10 minutes for the year? Like that, That's actually garbage to me. And then my all-NBA third team, um, I'm going to go with Kyrie Irving and Paul George as the guards, Jason Tatum and Zion Williamson as the forwards, and Rudy Gobert as the center. Honorable mentions, these are the guys who are unlucky to miss out on All-NBA. Um, Chris Paul, Brad Beal, Kevin Durant, Julius Randle, Russell Westbrook, Drew Holiday, Bam Adebayo, uh, Mike Conley, Carl Anthony Towns, and Trey Young. So let me know what you think of those teams, what of all the awards, anything that I did on today's show. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, and the new Odyssey app on YouTube. Hit thumbs up, drop your comments, ring the notification bell. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.